Well, good morning. What a good-looking crowd. Everybody looks uh, happy. That's good. We'll see if that, that translates to the end of the service, too. We'll see. Uh, pastor told me that uh, I was good to preach till 3 o'clock, so everybody all right with that? All right. Um, I'm, I'm very excited to have my family here with me this morning. Um, just next to her, my son Kyle, uh, my grandson Jack, and then behind Linda is my granddaughter Bailey, my daughter-in-law Alicia, my granddaughter Presley, my son Casey, Toya, and Connor is that somewhere. I hope, okay, glad to have you guys. Appreciate you here. All right. Well, uh, my mission this morning, um, what I'm trying to do more than anything else is I want to get you to think, okay? I want to get you to kind of turn those gears in there. And uh, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Okay, so we're trying to try to get you to think. Um, some people, some people kind of confuse thought, real thought, with mental activity. I mean, we all have a lot going on in our minds. You know, we're bombarded with stimulus every day. And we have a lot going on in our minds, but do we really think? Do we really exercise that capacity of thought? And that's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Um, in Romans, uh, what is it? Romans 12, 2. If you could put that up on the board for me. Thank you. Um, for as many have sinned without the law will also perish without. I don't think that's the verse. Uh, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we want to talk about a little bit, transforming you by the renewing of your mind. Now, I invite you to go back in, on a journey with me a little bit. Uh, if you can all think back to when you were eight or nine years old, okay? For some of us, that's a long trip. For me, I know it's a pretty long trip back there. But think back to when you were eight or nine years old. Okay. Now, I would venture to say that if at that time somebody came up to you and said, what do you want to be when you grow up, you'd have an answer for them right then. I mean, it you wouldn't even have to think twice. I'm going to be an astronaut. I'm going to be a cowboy. I'm going to be a policeman, a fireman, whatever it is, right, an architect, whatever. You're, you knew, you just knew what you were going to be when you grew up, okay? Now, let's fast forward just a little bit. You get into maybe your late teens and your early 20s, and you realize that life is maybe not as easy as you once thought it would be. Uh, life kind of smacks you around, smacks you in the head a little bit. I know it did for me, okay? And I, and I came to realize that maybe these, these grandiose thoughts that I had as a kid, the things that I was going to do, maybe it wasn't going to be quite as easy as I thought it would be. I mean... When you're, you're, when you're a kid, you just knew it was going to be easy, right? I mean, you knew that it was all going to work out perfect. It, it was just going to lay out in front of you. Life was a breeze. Everything was going to be good, okay? And all of a sudden, we find ourselves, maybe, maybe, not, maybe it's not so easy. Maybe it's not as easy as we thought, okay? So what happens to us when we get kind of beat up by life a little bit and maybe those dreams and those goals didn't quite work out the way we thought they would, for most people, you begin to settle a little bit. You begin to settle. And those dreams and those goals, they get pushed back. And then as life goes on and you get busy with life, and let's face it, we're all busy with life. 
life happens. And those dreams and those goals and those thoughts, they just keep getting pushed back further and further and further. Okay? Um, in, uh, in Joel 2.28, if you've got that one, um, yeah, and, I, I shall, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Okay? God is, God is encouraging us. God is telling us that dreams and visions for our lives are good things. You know, he's pouring out his spirit in our lives, and he's encouraging us that these dreams and these visions that he's giving us are important things. And that's what we're going to talk more about a little bit here today. Okay. Um, the problem is, the problem we run into, at least me, I'll just speak for myself, is when God will drop something in your heart, some kind of a, a dream, a thought, um, an idea, he'll drop this in your heart, and what do we do? We tend to judge it. We judge that thing. We say, oh, no, you know, that's a cool idea, but I could never do that. You know, that'd be good for somebody else, somebody who's, um, you know, better educated, older, younger, better looking, whatever, whatever the situation is, we tend to limit it and we tend to judge it and we think that, oh, no, we can never do that. Well, let me tell you just a quick little Bible story. Um, this is, I'm not even sure what book this is in. That's, that's pretty embarrassing, but um, the story of Gideon. Anybody remember the story of Gideon? Well, in, in, in those times, um, Israel was going through a really bad time. The Midianites, every time a crop would come up in Israel, the Midianites would sweep in there. They'd steal the crop. They'd poison the wells. They just made life generally miserable for the Israelites. And Gideon, as this story unfolds, he's out kind of sneaking around, from tree to tree and bush to bush, he's got just a little bit of wheat. And this is his only wealth in the world, and he's going to hide it. He's got this little bit of wheat. He's going to hide it. And all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, Hail, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon looks at the angel and says, Are you talking to me? He says, and he, Gideon goes on to explain that in Israel... His father is the, or his father's tribe is the least of all of Israel. And in his father's tribe, his father's house is the least of that tribe. And in his father's house, he, Gideon, is the least. So why are you calling me a mighty man of valor? I mean, Gideon had a really bad picture of himself. Gideon, Gideon was the least of the least of the least of the least in his mind. And here this angel is saying, Hail thou mighty man of valor. So Gideon, you know, he, 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 could, he would have never believed. Does anybody know the rest of the story? What happens? Gideon saves Israel, right? Gideon and a very few amount of men actually go out and save Israel. But if you'd have asked Gideon, he, he would have never thought that he could do that. He, he would have... You know, he would have thought, there's no way. Pick somebody else. Pick somebody stronger. Pick somebody with more, more clout, more credibility, more everything else. But God chose Gideon. Interesting. Another example, Moses. When God came to Moses on the mountain and said, you're going to go to, it, to Egypt and you're going to bring my people out, what did Moses say? I can't even speak. I stutter. 
I can't talk to Pharaoh. I can't do this. Pick somebody else. Get somebody else. But God chose Moses. But why is that? Why is that? Well, here's the thing. God is going to drop things in your heart. He's going to drop things in there that, that he has for you to do. These are things that really nobody else can do them the way that you can do them. You have what it takes to do the things that God drops in your heart. God created you for that thing. That's why he puts you here. You ever, you ever, you know, that, that it, it, it intrigues me sometimes when I think about of all of history, I'm here now in 2017. You know, I'm in this place. Why is that? The same goes for everybody here. You could have, you know, you weren't born a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago. You're not born in the future. You know, contrary to what some people say, reincarnation is not really a thing. Um, but God put you here now. There's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Think about that a little bit. Okay. Let's, let's, let's play another little mind game here. What if... Money was no object in your life. What if you won the lottery? Let's just say you won the lottery. Everybody can kind of relate to that a little bit. So money is no object in your life at all. So after you take the trip around the world, you buy the big house, you buy the fancy sports car, whatever, whatever it is you're going to do, right? What gets you out of bed tomorrow morning? You don't have to go to a job. You don't have to clean the house because you got somebody to do that. You don't have to mow the lawn because you got somebody to do that. What gets you out of bed tomorrow morning? What is that thing that's going to get you up, get you moving, and get you to go do something? That's where your passion lies. That's a good indicator of where your passion is. Okay? So be considering that because that passion is probably something that God dropped in there. Okay? So be thinking about that. This is a rhetorical question for everybody to consider. Okay? Now, in Proverbs, it says... Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart, right? Now, there's a couple ways to look at that verse. Number one, just as a cursory reading, you say, well, God gives me the things I desire, okay? But I think the true meaning is more in God gives you the desire. God gives you that thing that you desire. Because we all know as we become believers and we grow in the word, our wants and our likes tend to change. Is that a fair statement? Everybody agree with that? Come on now, I'm pitching underhand here. Okay. All right. All right. So our wants and our desires and our and our thoughts and things change. So God grants us those those wants, those those desires, and then he turns around and he grants the desires. You know? Now I'll just tell you a couple you know, quick quickly, um, I always had a desire to to kind of teach and, and preach a little bit. I never, I never really wanted to be a preacher, but I, I always wanted to, to be able to do that. And if you back up 10, 15 years, I could have no, no sooner stood in front of a crowd of people and talked. I mean, there's no way. There's no way. I would, when I would meet somebody to shake hands, I couldn't look them in the eye. I would, I'd be looking over here, looking over here. I mean, I just had a, uh, I was a very shy, very introverted type of person. But I still had this desire 
and God met me where I was, and he granted that desire. And I've been able to speak in churches. I've been able to do some teaching and some preaching and things like that. And praise God. I, I, it, it was a desire in my heart, and God, and God met me, and God did that. Okay? And God's got things for each and every one of you. He's got things that he's putting into each and every one of you. Now, is anybody here a car buff? Does anybody here know about cars? All right, all right. Just, just a rough guess, how many models of Fords do you think they make? How many? About four different ones? All right, so let's say you got Ford, you got Chevy, you got Toyota, you got Honda, you got all, all these car manufacturers. Let's just say for, I mean, would I be way off if I said there was 200 different models of cars? That's, that's, that's a fair statement, right? Okay. So there's 200 different models of cars, and yet we all found one that we were okay with, and we bought, and we drive, and the parking lot's full of them out here, right? So out of those 200 models, we were able to find something we liked. We chose it. Boom. All right. Now, let's go back to when God was creating the earth, okay? That's a big job. God's got a lot on his plate. He's creating the earth, everything in the earth, all the plants, all the animals, the bugs, everything, okay? Now, wouldn't it have been easier for God to say, okay, let's just do this efficiently. I'm going to make 500 models of men and 500 models of women, and surely out of that you can find one that you like. I mean, wouldn't that have been easier for God to do that? All right, let's say 1,000 models of men, 1,000 models of women. Find one that you like, okay? But God didn't do that. God made each and every one of us specific, unique, individual, okay? Fingerprints, right? Your fingerprint is unique. No one else shares that fingerprint. Your DNA, how many criminals have been put in jail because of the DNA profile? You ever see those things where... You put your eye up, and it scans your eye, and it says, okay, yeah, that's you, okay? We are so unique and individual and different, and God went to all the trouble to make us that way. No one has ever lived on this planet that is just like you, and as long as this planet remains, no one will ever live on this planet just like you. So why did God do that? Why did God go to all that trouble? There's a reason. Everything God does has a purpose. Okay? It's, it's very evident, you, you, all these trees that surround us. Okay? Trees are everywhere. Why are trees here? They give us shade. They give us some fruit. But they cleanse the air, right? They take the carbon dioxide out of the air, and they expel oxygen back into the air. We couldn't survive if it were not for trees. God created trees with a specific purpose. Why are you any different? God doesn't do anything just randomly, just, oh, I think I'll just, yeah, I'll just create Tom today. Yeah, no, you know? No, he's, he's got a specific, specific plan and purpose for each and every person in this room. He created you with a certain set talents and abilities and skills and your personality and everything else, okay? God did that. God did that. God created that, okay? There's a, um, there's a saying that I heard many years ago, 
and it really uh, stuck with me. And it said, basically, there's two ways you can live your life. You can live your life by default, which is kind of a case of rah, rah, whatever will be, will be, if anybody's old enough to remember Doris Day. Or you can live your life by design. You can, you can live your life and be cognizant of what God has put into you and what your strengths, what your abilities, what your passions are, and you can design your life around those things. That's the two ways you can live your life. One way you can kind of float down the river of life and you can bash into sticks and rocks and trees and everything else and have to react to things. Or you can live your life in a proactive manner and have some design to it, have some thought to it. Linda and I went on a vacation a while back. We went to Williamsburg. We love Williamsburg, uh, just the history and everything there. And we went there for a week. But before we went, we got on the Internet. We looked up different places to see. We looked at different things to do, a restaurant we might like to go to, whatever. We took time to plan that little vacation. We took the time and the energy to do that. And sadly, and, I, and I'll put myself in this, in this boat too, sadly, most people don't spend enough, as much time planning their life as they do planning a vacation, a little one-week snapshot, you know. But they don't give their life that same do, that same diligence to say, you know, okay, God, what is it that you want from me? What do you want me to do? All right? Um, if you could put up uh, Jeremiah 29.11 up there for me. Thank you. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Okay? God has a future for you, a future, a plan for your life. God wants you to do what he has put you on this earth to do. And unfortunately, we might get little glimpses of that plan along the way, but as I said before, life tends to get in the way. And nobody can fault us for all the things we do, you know. If you're raising kids, if you have a job that you have to go to, if you're responsible in any other um, area of life, things you're involved with, your church, the things that you do for your church, okay, nobody can fault you for those things. But you still have to ask yourself, what is it that God wants for me to do? What is it that God is calling me for? Why am I here? And I got to tell you, there is no age limit on this. You know, it never, it never talks in the Bible about Christians retiring. It's a, I'm sorry. I hate to break that to you. But you, there is no retirement age for a Christian. Okay? If you are here and you are drawing breath, there is something for you to do. There is a purpose. There's a plan. God's got it. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, there's a lot of life left in front of us, each and every one of us. There's a lot of life out there. What are you going to do with that? There's an old saying that says, today is the first day of the rest of your lives. Anybody ever heard that? I think it got popularized on a cereal commercial, of all things. But anyway, today is the first day of the rest of your life. Now, that's a corny little saying, but it is true. There's so much truth there. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. What, what, will, what will you do 
with the rest of this life that you have. You know, they, uh, secular scientists try to tell us that, um, that we're, everything just kind of happened. The Big Bang, we spoke a little bit about that in Sunday school, and, and I appreciate Nick teaching Sunday school this morning. That was great. Um, the Big Bang happened. This happened, that happened. The one-cell creatures became two-cell creatures, so on and so forth, and all of a sudden, here we are, right? Well, you know, I read a book one time. And it, was, it was talking about could evolution really have happened, and it was a science scientist that wrote this book. And one of the examples he brought out was the human eye. You know, the evolutionists say, well, yeah, that little one- or two-celled creature uh, had a mutation, and it was a light-sensitive spot, and it could tell if there was a shadow, and so it was better adapted to live, so it lived when others didn't, and that light-sensitive spot then mutated, and so on and so forth, and finally it becomes the eye, right? Well, that might have been able to, they might have been able to swallow that 200 years ago before they knew much about the human eye, but as we know today, the human eye is much more complex than the most advanced and sophisticated camera that we've ever come up with. There's so many parts in there. There's so many things that have to work together and work properly for that eye to function that there's just no way it could happen. You know, it would have to be a hundred mutations happening all at the same time and happening perfectly. And, and I, I think we could all agree that's just, that's just not going to happen, right? The, the odds against that are astronomical. Um, so again, it was, it was designed... It was created by intelligent design. God knew exactly what he was doing when he, made, when he created not only us and our eyes and everything else, but you personally, you individually. He knew exactly what he was doing. You ever hear that saying that um, everyone has a twin out there? Everybody heard that? Connor, my, my son Connor, he works over at Lowe's. He sent me a text the other day. He said, your twin just walked into my department. And, and I texted him back. I said, well, that must be one good-looking guy. <laughs> and, and then about 20 minutes later, he calls me on the phone, and he was laughing. He says, I told this guy he was a twin of my dad, and this guy said, well, your dad must be one good-looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> but even that guy, who maybe looks like me, okay, he hasn't had the same experiences I've had. He doesn't have the same, probably not the same talents, Probably not the same um, personality, every, everything, you know. Even if, if they were to clone a human being, to actually clone somebody that's identical to you in, in the physical respect, that clone would still have different experiences, have different, the, the, your, your lives would diverge. And that would be a different person from you. And God, God has placed each and every one of us here as an individual. I'm on page two now. You guys are in good shape. God has, like I said, God has put something in each and every one of you. Let me give you a quick example of how important this is, how important it is to, to, uh, to really think about this. This is a secular example, but I think it makes the point. Back in the 50s, Harvard University decided to do a study. 
They wanted to track their graduating class for 20 years and see how they had done. And then, but before they, before the class actually graduated, they put them through a whole battery of questions, uh, they, uh, different things about their their lifestyle, their behaviors, their their habits, uh, so on and so forth. They had their class rankings. They had all their transcripts and everything else. And then they sent this class out into the world. Now, I think it was 55. 20 years later, they, they located all these people, and they wanted to see what they had done with their lives. And what they found was about 5% of the group was, and I'll just say this in a, in a loose way, more successful, whatever the metrics of success are, more successful, 5% were more successful than the other 95% combined. So they asked themselves, now why is that? What makes this small group so different? And they went back and they looked at, well, what was their class ranking? Well, some were high, some were low. They looked at the classes, the courses that they took, the, the things that they majored in. They couldn't find any correlation. They looked at all the questions, no correlation except one. There was one question that stood out, and that one question was, they asked them back when they were graduating college, do you have clear written out goals for your life? And every single person in that small group had said yes to that question. Now, we're not here to give a, a seminar on goal setting this morning, but just think about the difference that that made, that back in college, these, this group was thinking about the future, was thinking about what they were going to do with their lives, and they were giving it that, that, that effort, that thought, to sit down, do it, and write it out, and look at the difference that it created in their lives. It's pretty impressive. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, the thing of it is, if, if God has created us, and I would think we would agree with that, we're created by God, and if God has a plan and a purpose for us that we just saw in Jeremiah, so I think we would agree with that, then the question is, it only makes sense, it's only appropriate that we would find out what that is, that we would pray, we would ask God, what is that thing that you've created me for, God? Give me, you know, God's, not, God's a gentleman. He's not going to scream it at you. You have to take the time. You have to sit down in your heart of hearts by yourself, and you have to ask God, why am I here? Why, why did you, of, of all the other people, you've, you've put me in the situations and the circumstances I've been through in my life, and I've learned, and I've grown, and, and I've gathered this, this data. What, what is it that you want me to do, God? You've been so gracious to me. You've blessed me in so many ways. What can I do for you? What I want to give you my life. What is it that you want me to do? Bill, uh, Billy Graham said years ago, he said, the definition of success is finding God's purpose for your life and staying in it all your life. That was his definition, and that's a great definition. So what is it? What is it that God wants you to do? And it doesn't have to be, we're not talking about, you know, it doesn't have to be some great, grandiose thing, but what does God want you to do? What are those desires in your heart? What are those things that, that you have a passion about? I remember when I was a kid, um, maybe like fifth grade or so, I played the saxophone. 
And the reason I played the saxophone was because my mother liked the sound of the saxophone and my parents liked jazz music, and so I learned how to play the saxophone. But I always had a desire to play the drums. Always want, I was I beat on the countertops and everything all my whole life. Had a desire to play the drums. But <laughs> mom said we couldn't get a drum set because it would drive my dad crazy. So I didn't play the drums. And then I got into sports. I got involved in sports. I got, you know, started noticing girls and that sort of thing. And, and I just kind of forgot about it. And life went on. I got married, had children, started raising children. And every once in a while, I'd have this little thought, boy, it'd be cool to play the drums. I'd like to do that. But, eh, you know, it's too late. I should have done it when I was younger. Eh, whatever. Well, finally, I'm standing in church one Sunday morning and our praise and worship team at that time consisted of a guitar player and two singers. And they were playing, and we're standing up, and we're worshiping. And I'm kind of tapping on my legs as I'm singing along. And all of a sudden, the Lord says, you need to play the drums. Now, I, honestly, I don't know if it's the Lord that said it to me or it was me that just says, hey, I need to play the drums. I don't know. But it was a desire of my heart. So when I was 42 years old, I bought a drum set. I never took a lesson in my life. I, I put on some music, and I played along with it, and I learned, and I practiced, and I practiced, and I practiced, and then about a month later, I started playing with the praise and worship team at the church. And it, that was just a, that's just a tiny thing. That's just a small, insignificant thing. But it was, a, it was a desire of my heart, and God met me there. And now I play the drums. Now, I don't play the drums... I'm, well, I don't pretend to be uh, anything, but I, I enjoy it. I have, uh, it gives me pleasure. I, I enjoy playing the drums. And at, at some point I said, I'd like to learn to play the piano. So I learned to play the piano. And now I'm learning to play the guitar. But it's just, it's just things, these are, these are things that God put into me. And, and thank God, and I'll just, I don't know if you, you, this, this might sound wrong, or, but I'm proud of the fact that I, did it I'm pr because it, it was more than just gosh that would be nice oh well let me go on with my life no I did it God dropped it in my heart I think I believe it was a desire and I went ahead and did it and I'm I'm so happy for for it now okay so God's got things like that for each and every one of you he's got those little things that tug on you you know those little say gee you, you know you should remember when you thought about that yeah, that you should do that. You should do that thing. You know, he's there for you. He's there for you. You can rely on him. You can lean on him. Got any football fans in here? Okay. Um, San Francisco. Anybody, is that their favorite team? Anybody San Francisco? No? Okay. Does anybody know what the team's called? What the, what the name of the team is? 49ers. Does anybody know where that term came from? Gold Rush. Very good. Very good. Okay. San Francisco 49ers. 49ers was the great gold rush back in 1849. Everybody went to California to strike it rich, to find gold. Okay. There was a guy that went out there. His name was, his initials are R.U. and his last name is Darby. R.U. Darby. He went out to California. He sold everything he owned back east traveled to California and got a claim and began to mine for gold with a little pickaxe and 
he started working. And lo and behold, he started to find some gold. Gold nuggets were coming out of the mountain. And he was so excited, and he, and he realized that this was a big vein. This is a huge vein that I've got here, as evidenced by what he was finding. So he wrote back to uh, his family in the east and said, sell everything, s send money, we've got to buy equipment, we're going to buy this, this, this equipment, and we're going to get this gold out of here. So not, not only with all of his money, but all of his family's money, he began to excavate this gold. And they were, they were taking thousands of dollars a day in gold out of the mine. And then just almost as quickly as he had discovered it, it dried up. There's nothing coming out. They're digging, they're digging, they're digging. They're not finding anything. Nothing. So in despair, he, he decided to, you know, uh, his, his dreams were crushed and, he, and it was over. And to recoup some of the money, he sold all the equipment to a scrap dealer. And then he went back east. Now the scrap dealer now had all of this mining equipment. Didn't know what to do with it. But what he did was he went to R.U. Darby's old claim there, his old site, and he looked around a little bit, and he said, you know what, down at the university, there's some people that I could talk to, and they, they know, and they can tell me if, this is, if there's any more here, if it's worth doing anything with or not. So he hired an expert. And the expert came out, and he did all sorts of tests, and he, and he looked, and he did whatever it is that, that experts do. And, um, and the expert came back to the junk dealer and he said, there had been an earthquake and the ground had shifted. And where R.U. Darby stopped digging was three feet from the largest, richest vein of gold ever discovered in California. Now, I say that because... Where, where did R.U. Darby make his mistake? He had this desire. He had this goal, right? But he did not talk to the expert. He did it on his own. We have the opportunity to talk to the expert. We can talk to the expert. Because what will happen is these, these dreams, these goals, these things that are placed in your heart are still just you until you involve God until you involve the expert. Because, and, and, and what happens too many times is we'll go through our lives and we'll be three feet away from our destiny. Three feet away from where we need to be. So what is that thing in your life? What is that, what is that thing that, that God has put in there? Talk to the expert about it. You know, Paul sent me... Um, Pastor Paul sent me a text the other day, a book he was reading. He said it was, and I'll just paraphrase, it was the, the, the excerpt in the book says, God will not give you a finished product. He'll give you an idea, and then he'll say, now you go cultivate it. You go make it better. God will drop that in your heart. But he will direct your steps. God will direct your steps to get you where it is that he wants you to go. If we can be humble enough ask him and not, not be so proud that, oh, this is our idea and, and, and we're going to do this in our own strength. No. God will be there to direct you and help you every step of the way. Now, real quickly, there's, there's those, those big, what I call those big things, 
that God puts into your life that, that he is expecting you to do. There's those big things. But then let's bring it down more general, more, more generalized. Okay? Each and every one of us has a certain sphere of influence. Each and every one of us, maybe we go to school, maybe we work at a job, maybe we're a member of a or group or organization, we're certainly members of a church, okay? So what is it that, if you ask God, what is it that you can do to, to be a light in that place, whatever that place is? What is it that you can do to make a difference in that place? And in those, you know, with those other people. What, what is it, God, what is it? You know, pray for your employers. If you work for somebody, pray for them. That business should be blessed because you're there. Pray for them. Pray for their business. Okay? And, you, and you, we, too, too many times we go, oh, that dirty, rotten guy, he's terrible, he hasn't given me a raise in 12 years and blah, blah, blah. But you know what? Pray for that. Pray for God to bless his business. Pray when in your classrooms, your younger people, if you're in school. Pray to see a difference in your school, in your classroom. Pray, ask God how he can use you to bring about that change in your classroom or in your church or in your community. Get involved in your community. Get involved in the in. Whatever it is that, that excites you, whatever it is that, that God has kind of given you that bent for, get involved, pray about it, ask God to help you become the best you that you can be, and you'll see a difference. I promise you, you'll see a difference in all those different areas of your life. Again, he created us for a purpose. We have those specific purposes, and we have those more generalized purposes. You would not, people don't realize how much of an impact they have. We all tend to be like Gideon, and we look at ourselves with kind of a, a lowly attitude, okay? Um, you, don't, you don't know how much influence you have. And, and you know, uh, people get one, one last point, and then I'll, and I'm done. Sometimes when these things drop in our hearts, we think, wow, that's not very spiritual. I should be more spiritual. This is maybe kind of a, maybe has a little bit of a selfish motivation to it. You know, you could say that about me wanting to play the drums. That maybe has a little bit of a selfish motivation to it. Um, well, number one, God can use, can still use, use that. But do you remember, everybody remember the story of um, David and Goliath? Okay, David and Goliath. Now, I know in Sunday school, I remember going to a Sunday school class as a kid, and they talked about David and Goliath. And what do they always show with David and Goliath? They've got Goliath on one side, and he's big, and he's scary, and he's screaming at the Israelites. And on the other side, you have David kind of standing up to him and saying, who is this uncircumcised Philistine, right? And then all the kids would ask, what does that word mean? And the teacher would say, never mind, never mind. Okay. Um, so everybody thinks David had this, this, you know, just a, a, a totally spiritual God, you know, uh, I'm going to do this because he is, uh, uh, 
saying terrible things to the, the uh, children of Israel. Well, if we could put that last scripture up there, I think it's First Samuel. There you go. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him and saying, what? What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine? And takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? Now, I, as I read that, David, David is motivated by having the king's daughter. David is motivated by his family not paying taxes. Just, you know, let's get real for a minute. These, these people were human beings, just like we are, right? David wasn't so offended by this Goliath, as he, and, and, and I think, you know, he hears the people say it, and then he asks them to repeat it. What? You mean the guy that kills Goliath gets this, 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 and this? Oh, I'm, I can do, I'll take care of that. I'll take care of that. So, so don't belittle your dreams and your goals and your thoughts. Don't belittle them. Look what David did. Now, we, obviously, we can't get in his head. I might be totally off base. David might just been, you know, gung-ho for the Lord to go kill this giant. But I think a part of that was the thing that David dreamed about. David dreamed about riding on a horse, being enriched, marrying the king's daughter, so on and so forth. Okay? So don't belittle those dreams. Don't judge those thoughts and those dreams that come in. Okay, it might just be the thing that God is putting into your heart. It might just be your destiny. It might just be what God has created you and placed you on the earth, on this earth, at this time, in this place. It might just be that thing for you. Okay, so give that some thought. And uh, with that, I will wrap up. I appreciate everybody coming. I think Joseph's got a... a do you want to do that special now, or do we want to do the offering first? Uh, the announcements, that'd be a good thing. Probably should do the announcements. Paul told me three times, don't forget to do the announcements.